Hello, all Beard Inside listeners. Here's the audio from our newest YouTube episode. If you like this episode or the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, the brand new TrendingTopicsNetwork.com, or many other listening avenues for this podcast. We also kindly ask you to rate, review, subscribe, and leave comments to wherever you are getting this wonderful sound. Please enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to All Beer Inside. Joining me today is Alexander of Golden Rule Mead. Hi, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you very much for hosting us today and speaking about your meadery and your house, <laughs> from what I can tell. So yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you've got some tasty looking meads here for me to try. What uh, am I going to be starting with? I think we'll start with Wild Light. Okay. It's um, maybe not what a lot of people would expect from mead uh, getting into it. You know, mead, of course, honey based mm-hmm. beverage um, like beer, wine, or cider. But. Yeah. Uh, this, thank you. This starts out with just enough honey to bring it to just over 5%. And then I ferment it with a mixed culture that I've been propagating for the last three or so years. Originally, it came from a cider. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I made a wild cider just for fun, and, and it turned out awesome. So I've been, yeah, propagating this uh, since then. And I mean, I, I don't know why, but you can still, I think, get like a lot of that green apple yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's very bright. It's very tart. Um, Color, so too. Definitely session yeah. mead. Yeah. Um, and like all of my other meads, it's all Vermont honey. Um, awesome. Cheers. As we do, a toast. Oh, that is tasty. Nice, light, not overpowering in any way. It's like a gateway into this. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, lawnmower mead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's good any time of year, but like, especially in the summer, you get one of these, like it's, it's super chill and, um, chill, but Mm -hmm. playful. No tartness, no like overpowering punchiness or anything. Right. And like you mentioned the green apple, I was expecting more tartness, but there's just barely any. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do describe it that way. I tell people it's tart, it's Mm kind of zippy, but like it's, it's not, it's not overly astringent. I don't think, um, it's a, yeah, pretty, pretty easy going. Fantastic. So what's the meat story? What made you create Golden Rule? You know, like any story, it's a long and winding road, but uh, the shorter version. Basically, um, I've worked at various breweries um, in my uh, fairly young career. I'm 32 now. Mm -hmm. Um, Started in the industry right after college. I actually got a job washing dishes um, in the pub of this brewery in Boulder, Boulder Beer Company. and you know, one thing led to another. I moved east, uh, continued working in upstate New York, and then got a job at Otter Creek Brewing Company um, here in Middlebury. Mm-hmm. At that point, that was my first like full-on um, brewing gig. Uh, so, so I was full-time production brewing, and I didn't really have the energy to make beer at home. Um, I, I love writing recipes. I love trying recipes. Uh, I've got you know. It, I don't know if the cameras are picking up, but like a, a lot of yeah, variety yeah. here. And that's not even, you know, half of it. So it's a passion of mine uh, to try all these different ingredients, work with all these different things. But like I said, I didn't have the energy to make beer at home. Um, you know, it's a seven, eight hour process. Uh, so so I looked into other alternative fermentations to, to keep things bubbling and found mead. Um, sacred herbal healing beers, you know, yeah. uh, we love it. Um, kind of got me interested and, and I tried mead, loved that it was, you know, an hour and you were done and cleaned up. 
And the more I worked with it, the more I found it was a really lovely uh, medium to, to work with these ingredients. Beer is great for mm-hmm. whatever you want. You, you know, anything you can use in mead, you can use in beer to great effect. But what was special to me about mead was the way that once you ferment the sugar away, which I all of my meads are dry at this point, um, yeah, uh, with, with no worthwhile exceptions. So once the sugar's all gone, uh, whatever other flavors are left um, really shine through. There's not a lot to hide behind. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, with beer, you've got the malt and the hops, and, and just sort of by, by their nature, they're going to compete for that you know, perceptual space. So uh, mead, on the other hand, uh, you know, especially on the lighter side, I've, I've pretty much never, I very rarely venture past uh, like 10% alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the lighter side of things, and, and that really just lets the flavors um, speak for themselves. Uh, you know, tea, uh, I'm a big tea drinker. So um, using tea, uh, using botanicals, flowers, uh, just like lilacs. You yeah. know? It's like you got to pack a beer full of lilac to taste that thing. <laughs> Whereas with me, you, you really start to get a, um, you don't have to use too much, um, which is, you know, useful uh, in its way. So, yeah. I uh, mean, you mentioned the seven, eight hour day. As a show, we followed a home brew for day, and it's like, how are we going to cut that to down to an hour episode? Because <laughs> yeah. it's boil the water, cool the water, pull the, the drink down, and then put in the yeast. And right. So you just mentioning meat is like an hour sounds incredibly more convenient. Definitely, and you know you can make it as complicated as you want it. I'm usually making a tea first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, either literally using tea or um, you know steeping something hot uh, to extract the the character before cooling it down to mix in the honey. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, a simpler process, requires a lot less equipment than beer making. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I still love good, well-made beer. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's my favorite kind of beer, is a well-made beer, yeah. you know? There's, so, there's not much loss for that in the state of Vermont from what I've seen. So. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty good place to be yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah. It, it is pretty amazing how I think you're the least amount of population for the state of, of all the lower 48, yet you have per capita the most breweries. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. We don't have to have a lot of breweries yeah. to, to get that number, but but uh, it's it's a it's a competitive scene. Mm-hmm. It really, like there's Vermont is a pretty crafty state, and yeah. and so you know um, between its sort of maple sugaring and dairy heritage, mm-hmm. there was kind of already a lot of that equipment available. You yeah. know, it sort of sort of sets the stage. And then what made you decide, clearly time-saving, but also like what made you decide mead's going to be my game? Just when just... I made that decision, I had, um, I, had, I had actually been fired from Otter Creek. <laughs> um, don't let that stop you. That's, <laughs> getting fired is not the end of the road. So they, you know, let me go. I briefly, briefly worked at a local winery, um, Lincoln Peak. Um, shout out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Fiddlehead picked me up. Okay, um, yeah. So I worked at Fiddlehead for two years. Uh, one year on the day shift, one year on the night <laughs> shift, uh, which I volunteered for, um, you know, and they, they took care of me. Um, it was I had a very good experience working at Fiddlehead. Um, obviously, a lot of great beer coming out of there. It wasn't too long into my night shift stint where, you know, you get a lot of time to think <laughs> to yourself at, on the night shift. And I was kind of wondering, like, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, I had Fiddlehead, great company to work for, but, um, you know, 
on the night shift. Night shift is all about efficiency. Mm -hmm. So like what I was doing there, more or less, was keeping the, the beer engine turning. You know, just making sure that more and more people could get IPA. Uh, and Fiddlehead IPA is a, is a well, worthwhile, mm -hmm. is a beer worth drinking. But, um, but yeah, I, I was, you know, interested in adding a little bit more to the conversation than more IPA. Which yeah. is like, yeah, if we need anything, it's not more IPA right now. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I just circumstances kind of aligned um, such that I was uh, able to make the decision in retrospect, a little recklessly, but uh, I decided nonetheless to um, let them know uh, my intentions to, to start this meadery. Mm -hmm. um, I guess as a little caveat, uh, or well, whatever, uh, I didn't really get into or you know decide to start a mead company because I like am passionately in love with mead. I didn't really get into mead making, like I said earlier, because I, you know, tried a bunch and mm -hmm. just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I got into it because I thought it was interesting, you know, on its own merits as a, you know, basically on honey's merits as a fermentable sugar. I mean, the, the way that you asked the question, uh, like, this is my game. Well, mm -hmm. it's not a lot of people in the game right now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. by the time that I decided to start Golden Rule Mead, I was drinking my homebrewed mead um, at least as often as I was drinking the the fiddlehead okay, cool. mead that I was bringing home, mead, beer, that I was bringing yeah. home. Um, and, and that was a real sign for me. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, if I like this well enough to drink it, um, probably someone else will too. It does seem like your entire career, from what you're telling me, is pretty much in the craft beverage industry. Yeah. Starting in Colorado till you came New York here. Yeah. But what made you pull the trigger on moving east from kind of central mountain? Yeah. There's uh, <laughs> not much of a of an answer there other than my family had moved east. I grew up in Colorado. Um, we moved there. I was four. Okay. Um, so I grew up there and uh, moved back there after college to work at Boulder Beer Company. Meanwhile, my, uh, my brother had been living uh, overseas for a, a few years and had moved back to New York City, Okay, moved to New York City. My parents um, live in upstate New York, so I, you know, I, I, I left Boulder Beer Company and decided to, uh, well, I decided east or west. Mm -hmm. I was really like, down to the wire. Uh, <laughs> Like a week left, I still hadn't decided, am I going to move east, be closer to my family? Or I had a buddy in San Francisco at the, at the time. He, he was a software developer. And he lived right in the city, like on Golden Gate Park. He had this great apartment. And, and I was like, you know, can I crash on your couch while I look for something in the industry there? He was open to it. Ultimately, mm. you know, I, I decided to move east, and, and no regrets. I, I'm very happy to have wound up here. Yeah. And from what from what I've read and from your recipes, you have some pretty unique meads. Sometimes you you want something nice and, and dry and not as heavy as a wine. And so right. to me, mead is is a happy middle ground of of that big or small, depending what I want. You know, ciders you just there's a common misconception that ciders are just like dry and puckery in this, but that's, you know, having just come off mountain Mac, it's, he completely changed my mind on that. Sure. So it's uh, it's great that there's more local beverage producers in where we really live. Thankfully from like Ontario, Quebec, the Maritimes, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, 
New York State. We're, we're pretty spoiled for all the tasty, tasty beverages that we could get. So Yeah. But uh, to me, there needs to be more beer, uh, more meats. My apologies. Because uh, it's the Viking drink, and I'm sporting uh-huh. this. I got to... Uh-huh. I got to be drinking meads. So. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, as far as getting into it and I don't know, the, the variety, mm-hmm. um, mead can be, mead can be a lot of things. I and mean, like you said, it can be big or small. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. Mead is right now. People think of it as that a lot of people, the, the sort of the, I think the common perception is the common association is with, uh, you know, Norsemen with frothing mugs mm-hmm. of whatever. And, uh, it's kind of a medieval European drink, um, and I, you know that's all well and good, but that's really only part of Mead's heritage. I mean, I, I haven't done much research here, but mm. uh, as far as I would be willing to put money on uh, any culture around the world that has had honey, a, like a reliable supply of honey, yeah. um, has been making mead, uh, and that's basically everywhere except the americas mm-hmm. um you know that's us too in canada well uh, right i yeah. mean after after uh after yeah. europeans brought yeah. honeybees yeah. to north america um so so that's you know a much shorter heritage meat is thousands and mm-hmm. thousands of years you know people ask like was it discovered right? who who discovered who invented meat or it's like it, no it, it's prehistoric i think like like other fermented beverages yeah. um yeah, we came up with them that's uh, uh there's the documentary I watched, like, uh, How Beer Saved the World, and mm. it's, like, the first fermentable beverage makers were women, but now it's, like, such a dude culture thing. Yeah. And it's, like, no, we gotta we got to deviate from that. And, you know, craft alcohol, there's there's too much of a stigma where, like, ciders and wines are for ladies, and then men drink beer. And we need to get away from that and just enjoy what you're going to enjoy, and it's, it's that simple. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a thing that's happening pretty broadly socially right mm-hmm. now i mean a lot of a lot of questioning of roles um and i don't know roles don't come from nowhere but um but it's i think you know it, mead or craft beverages uh, are kind of a microcosm of mm-hmm. this and and what i what i really hope that people come away with when they come to visit the tasting room or or even just pick up a bottle of mead with a certain preconceived notion of what it will be and then drink my mead mm-hmm. and uh, you know just hear regularly from people like oh this is not what i expected mm-hmm. um that mead can be a lot of different things um and that you know maybe there are certain certain flavor profiles that mead really does support you know more naturally uh so so there is there are certain things that beer is more going to do mm-hmm. and mead is more going to do so so you know in its way kind of these roles yeah. but yeah i i I think it's uh, it's a thing that that we all get to do. We're all doing in in this this way of of uh, asking, breaking out of these traditions um, to re-examine them, and then you know, kind of move them around on on the shelf of life. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. There's all that shelf space. I mean, why not? I mean, <laughs> there's all that su- shelf space. Support support your local ca- beverage makers. We got to fight for that shelf yeah. space. Um, could I try something else? Of course. Uh, yeah, so let's see. We've got um, so we've got some options. Um, I don't know, currants or cherries? Uh, cherries. Cherries. Yeah. So foxtrot. Um, foxtrot gets. Foxtrot. That's a great name. Thanks. Um, sour cherries, mm-hmm. lovage root, and clove. Okay. And uh, you're gonna notice, of course, fruitiness from the cherries, but uh, it's really the clove and the lovage root, I think, that that sort of take awesome. center Coast. stage. 
That's tasty. Yeah, the clove's a little over the cherry from what I'm getting on my palate, but yeah. still, like, wonderful. About 5%, 6%. Uh, this one's a little over eight, I think. Oh, maybe wow. eight and a half. Don't taste it. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are, they mm-hmm. are pretty clean. Yeah. Bottles you're using, super unique. I've. They remind me of like back in the day, the stubby beers. Yeah, right. Kind of Red what made you pick those and not canning or the bigger bottles. The choice was um, more made for me, or as much made for me um, as as one that I made. It, it, these were bottles that. Um, originally, I, I got uh, this this brown bottle here, not this very one, obviously, uh, for a birthday present. Um, okay. A girl I was dating at the time liked uh, one of my recipes, Cory Rose, which we can taste, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, gets coriander and rosemary, and uh, she wanted a gallon of it for her birthday. Um, she's not a very big person, nor is she a big drinker. So I wanted smaller bottles. You know, the smallest bottle that I had was a 12 ounce bottle. And I was like, yeah, you know, that that might be a little more than she wants, Mm -hmm. um, in a sitting. So I ordered uh, the smallest quantity I could get of, I found, you know, these eight ounce Boston rounds, um, smallest quantity I could get was like 96 bottles. So I got this case of 96 resealable (laughs) Boston rounds, yeah. and they were awesome for home brewing, um, easy to clean out and reuse the caps and everything. But more than that, they uh, they allowed me once I actually started uh, this business. Originally, when I started this business, I wanted everything on draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, I had to bring samples to the restaurants and the bars that uh, that I, I wanted to pour my stuff at, uh, and I brought them in these. I had these bottles handy, so I would fill little bottles and bring them and I got several often maybe they would ask me like is this how you're selling it like no it's on draft and more often than not I would hear well you know it would be easier if we could pick up you know just a case of these um and 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 then the pandemic hit Mm -hmm. um so I already had this this positive feedback about the bottles and I I started selling at farmer's markets um lugging kegs around was miserable (laughs) And uh, yeah, then then all the bars and restaurants, you know, they, they weren't gonna put mead on draft. Mm-hmm. The, those who didn't just shut down their their alcohol program, they were they wanted sure things that were gonna they were gonna move, um, which like I just, I don't fault them for at all. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, the pandemic hit everybody a little different, and yeah, uh, the fact that. Guys like you, Mount Mac, Groenveld, like all you guys survived. It's pretty miraculous. Two years yeah. of hell, um, pretty much. Uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah, thank do. you, government funding. <laughs> yeah. you know, socialism yeah. works. I'm in a house drinking mead. How'd you pick this location? Uh, it, you know, that's that's a great question. I don't really, you know, there's no there's no coherent answer. I think um, just I was picking between a few different areas. Of course. Uh, first, it was deciding on the town. Yeah. Uh, Middlebury versus, I was also considering Montpelier and, of course, the Burlington area. Uh, those were my big three. And um, that uh, same girl I was dating, uh, she lived in Middlebury. So, lacking any s- spot that I really fell in love with in either of the other two areas, I you know, was looking in Middlebury and found this house, um, which is you know definitely part of the, the sort of idiosyncrasy mm-hmm. of this project. Uh, living upstairs, <laughs> the living room, the, the main floor is the tasting room, yeah. and uh, I make it all downstairs. Mm. 
And uh, that was that was really part of the deal. Um, I I knew that I didn't, I just didn't have enough money to pay for an apartment yeah. and a commercial space. So I needed all in one and most of the other spaces that were available and like zoned for this kind of project. They, they didn't really, they didn't have a shower. So like, what was I gonna do? Uh, <laughs> and, and then uh, a friend, um, introduced me to this space and um you know the rent was pretty reasonable especially like because it's all in one Mm. and there's an actual apartment upstairs and um and yeah i mean working out the zoning with the town was you know obviously feasible um so so it it all sort of came together um and i i I don't know if this is going to be golden rule meads forever home Mm -hmm. um might outgrow it we'll see but for now, um, for now, it's great. City of Middlebury is very opening, very welcoming. You opening this location, another you know, craft producer. Obviously, the city's like, ooh, tax money, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was a little bit of a dance um, because it's not it's not an industrial zone. It, of course, we are bordering an industrial mm-hmm. zone. Exchange yeah, yeah. Street, just <laughs> just north here. There's like Woodchuck and Otter Creek. Well, Otter Creek is no longer there now, but uh, Whistlepig, I think, mm-hmm. is going to be moving in. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of a border case and, uh, we sort of finagled it to, um, uh, it's, it's very small production. Uh, I'm not going to turn this house into a beverage plant, you know, yeah. um, I will move out long before that's an issue. <laughs> uh, no, but it's, uh, it's perfect. Like to me, it feels very natural and like, you know, I could come down here and just sit down and have a, a tasty mead of yours and just kind of like chill out. It feels like a very relaxing type of place. A lot of local art. Yeah. What made you decide to support local artists and, and sell their art here? I mean, it's definitely just part of the vision. Um, uh, getting, you know, wh- why there's so much local art out there, and and there's a lot of really good stuff. Um, now, the art that mostly adorns the walls here is really primarily uh, the work of one artist, mm-hmm. um, uh, a, a local um, named Alice Eccles. Um, Alice, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it, she's very talented, um, prolific, and um, multi, multimedia artist. I mm-hmm. guess she writes and um, has a whole like clothing line that she just started uh, during the pandemic. She like gets these, I think they're made in Canada, actually. Um, you know, fairly paid uh, laborers and it's cool material. And she gets her art like printed on them. But yeah, the, the art here, I don't really run like a gallery per mm-hmm. se, or there, there's no rotation to yeah, it yeah, yeah. Uh, for now. That's not something that I wanted to get into is like sourcing, you know, making sure different artists are always like moving in and out. And I wanted a more consistent mm-hmm. vibe here. So, and Alice's work, the, the character of it, I think suits my, like what I'm going for perfectly. Um, there's a nice balance between abstract and representational and there's like bright colors, but it's, you know, it's just this this really diverse mm-hmm. uh, portfolio of of sort of styles and, and it's all a little bit whimsical. Um, and I, I just, I couldn't have been luckier. She approached me uh, about doing, Vermont has this uh, open studio weekend, um, twice a year, fall and spring. And so she approached me, um, I think, in fall of the pandemic, first uh, fall of 20, about using this space uh, for Open Studio Weekend because she, she, her studio is her home and she didn't really want people mm-hmm. at that point coming yeah. to her home. Um, but that was my business. So um, I was totally open to it. And, and yeah, all the pieces are for sale um, and they're 
the all proceeds go to Alice because I get a bunch of free art yeah, <laughs> in the meantime. Yeah, so like, yeah. And yeah even, that's her. I'm assuming, you know, having the open art studio here is people are consuming your meat. Right. And your meat's getting out there to people who might not have tried it before. Yeah. So it's it's really good, like, you know, I like using the word simpatico. It, it really kind of gels together with, with you and her. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Love hearing that. Golden Rule. Mm. Why, why did you call it Golden Rule? The name originally came to me um, one one evening, one long, long day of kegging. Um, I was a place, the place I was working in upstate New York. Um, I, I my supervisors were teaching a course at Paul Smith's on brewing, and what that meant was that they got to trek out to Lake Placid um, a couple of times a month, and uh, I think it was once a week at that point, um, and teach their course. And then go hang out at Lake Placid Pub and Brewery and drink ubu um, and have a great time while I was, <laughs> meanwhile, holding on the fort. And I had this like 15-hour long day of kegging, like start to finish, set yeah. up, you know, do the kegging, warehouse it, um, clean CIP everything. And I was just like in the middle of that, feeling kind of uh, exploited and not treated very well. And I'm like, what? How, what happened to treating others the way you want to be treated? Like, if, when I start a place, I'm gonna, you know, live by the golden rule. And it just clicked for me, like, oh, golden rule brewing company. At the time, you know, I hadn't hadn't started making mead. Golden rule brewing company. That's a pretty good name. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, as my interest in mead grew, you know, the whole golden thing. It's like very fitting. Yeah. Um, I mean, honey. Honey is gold. Right, know, right. So. <laughs> um, yeah, not all the meads are gold, of course, yeah. but yeah, the, the starting material, mm-hmm. definitely gold, and, and of course the parallel between honey and gold as like this imperishable thing um, is is wonderful. And and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, hopefully, um, ideally, it's a way of keeping myself honest, yeah. uh, holding myself to this principle, which is, you know, not the end-all be-all of ethics, uh, but it's a good start. Yeah. Uh, you, you seem pretty much mostly a solo operation it at this is, time. Yeah, so yeah. it's uh, you, the fact that you actually took time in your schedule to speak with us today. Oh, you know, no, is, is awesome. So. It's really my my pleasure. Yeah. And um, can I pour you another? Yes, I was actually about to ask you that. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, uh, you know, either either Corey Rose or Twig. Um, Corey Rose is that one I mentioned earlier with coriander yeah. and rosemary. Or Twig gets actually as much maple syrup as honey Ooh. and two kinds of tea. It's got this nice okay, balance. I, as Canadian, I got to do the maple syrup. Got to do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, it is that a, season right now while we're doing this is the sugar shacks are about to start right having and, more and more people in and and, and they did in January. Yeah. I mean, it's just been such a crazy yeah uh, like not even January thaw, but yeah. like spring a toast. Cheers. That's incredibly balanced. Yeah, it's wow. A, I'm, it's, it's like just a little bit of the sugariness in the maple. And there's a there's a tea. Well, there are two kinds of tea. Like I said, this was actually one of my earliest recipes. It's changed a little, especially because I use that that native yeast mm-hmm. strain. Um, that, well, gosh, actually, Foxtrot got it too. Yeah, I use it in a lot of my meads. Uh, ferment wild. My advice: ferment wild. <laughs> yeah. Like mess around with that. Con- commercial yeast strains are great, but like wild fermentation is where we came from. All yeasts were originally wild. Um, mess around. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's better necessarily, but you get these gems you get lucky yeah and and serendipity is just like feeds the soul i don't know do you suggest any type of food and mead pairings i guessing you don't have a kitchen at this time 
don't know if there's one in the plans, but... Uh... Yeah, not not here. Okay. I was like, yeah, I have a kitchen in my apartment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll go make some nachos, bring them down. <laughs> right, right. Um, I think the answer is basically it depends on the mead. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've, we've had three very different meads so far, so I would pair them quite differently. Wild Light, you know, uh, well, I, not to get too specific. I, I think like anything like like wine like beer um you're gonna you're gonna want to think about the flavors that are that are going on um and and more than the flavors the the feel um the this dreaded word mouth feel Mm -hmm. um dreaded mostly by my family (laughs) (laughs) my brother just can't get over it it's great um and i love him and it's uh it's just important, I don't know, to to let the beverage pick its pairing, you know, to, it's, it's part of, um, in French, there's this great word that kind of sm- sounds like disgusting, but it's not. Uh, hey, you guys are from Quebec. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dégustation. Dégustation, yeah, yeah. So, like, to dégust, to really, uh, like, it's it's a very, to me, a very, like, rooting word to, to like, put your roots mm-hmm. into the, I mean, I don't know why, but it's just how it strikes me. Um, to, I mean, you know, in, in more common parlance these days to be mind, to drink mindfully. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so going into that, you know, in Quebec, it's instead of a flight, it's a palette de degustation. Ah, so nice. Yeah. It's literally a tasting flight. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And degustation is such so much better of a word than tasting, tasting, like (laughs) degust is like to really take it in, let it. Um, So we've traveled from Quebec to here. Do you, do you, are you starting to get that French accent in here occasionally, you're like, oh, I recognize that. Every now and then. Oh, we're getting Canadians back up here again. I know the border's been open six months now, kind of solidly, but how does it feel to, like, have tourists coming through and who have discovered you? Like, how does that feel? Feels great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like you opened kind of just before the pandemic and then pandemic. Uh, Right. Well, yeah, so I started the company in 2019. Okay. And then I moved in here. I moved into this house March 1st of 2020. And, of course, two weeks later, um, the Americas locked down. (laughs) And uh, that was was quite a time to be alive, let alone starting a business. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, still is. But... uh, but it's it's gotten I don't know it's it's been just an adjustment I mean uh, starting a business you're if you're not paying attention you're gonna go under so mm-hmm. you're constantly just trying to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening and and how you're gonna move with it um, what you're not what you're gonna move with what you're not gonna move with yeah. I I don't know I mean as far as tourism goes tourists are uh, I I'd say you know. Uh, probably about half of who I see in, okay. in the tasting room, uh, yeah. whether they're Canadian or uh, from, you know, just New York, New south Hampshire. of here. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And and so I'm always grateful for for the, yeah. tour, the tourist yeah. visit. And for those who come through, have a, a few of your meats, buy a couple of bottles, mm-hmm. friends in the area that they have to check out as well. Uh, you just came from Mountain Mac. Um, he's getting started in the area and... Um, you know, he's starting out, so he doesn't have a whole lot of variety right now. But I think what he what he has pulled the trigger on releasing um, it's it's really solid stuff. It's dry. It's uh, um, it's it's very drinkable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, other outside of alcohol, I mean, Middlebury has a lot to offer. There's uh, Stoneleaf Tea House. I have I will always uh, stand Stoneleaf Tea House. 
uh, just like a, when I moved to Middlebury, that was my first, my first second home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I really spent, I have spent so much time there. Wonderful place, world-class tea house. Uh, uh, Montrealers know your own, uh, I think it's Camellia Sinensis. It's just like this, this beautiful tea house in the middle of Montreal. Okay. Um, I think Stoneleaf totally stacks up and hmm. their, their selection is, uh, you know, the, the owner founder, um, he, he travels to the tea growing regions and uh, connects with the growers, uh, sort of gets a feel for their operation, um, develops these direct relationships. So he, he gets, I mean, he really just gets the freshest stuff. Um, and and gets to make sure that uh, that you know that, that he believes in how it's made, uh, and and they you know they take their craft seriously, but it's it's not a pretentious place. It's like it's just very authentic and laid back, and and was a big inspiration for this project. Amazing. And they are right down the road from me. I think anyone who visits Middlebury owes yeah. Stoneleaf Tea House a visit. I mean, hearing your kind of craft beverage adventure it seems everything along the seven from what you've said so yeah yeah <laughs> right um and and continuing down seven there's yeah. a there's a, a beer spot that i just have to recommend um red clover ale company okay uh, just a um, three founded by uh three guys great guys um they they know their craft they do a lot of great stuff um, anyone who loves a good stout, uh, if they have their stout on, get mm. that. That's what, like, really, when they were just starting out, kind of dialing in their, their like, fermentations. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big IPA fan anyway, so uh, I, like, tried one, and then I tried their stout. And that, it was, like, dead on. And I was like, nice. ah, this is just, just straight ahead. Straight ahead stout. You don't find that much. Yeah. And it, they nailed it. Um, awesome. Red Clover is, yeah, great, great spot. Cool. Uh, let's try one more, yeah. and then I only have a couple of questions left. So. Sure. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to have you try Love Potion. Um, oh, perfect. This is just after Valentine's Day. This episode will be out. So. Yeah, and I, I just it's a really special one. Amazing. Love Potion number D. Red raspberries, Ooh. a little bit of black raspberries, yep. some Chinese black tea from where else? Still leave tea house. <laughs> uh, and it just, I mean, yeah, the aroma... Pure awesome. raspberry. Toast. Cheers. Oh. Yeah, that's dancing on my palate. Mm-hmm. Mm. It does that. What's the uh, ABV on this, if you don't mind? Um, eight. Oh, okay. 8%. Yeah, so not too many of these in a row. <laughs> you know, that's that's one of the, another really beautiful thing that I've found about uh, mead. I, I'm not trying to encourage, you know, binge drinking here, mm-hmm. but like anything dry, I think anything is not mead specific though i think the honey does affect this property it's a lighter hangover uh i mean it really if the less sugar in your beverage the lighter the hangover this is common knowledge and and yeah i mean that definitely drew me to my own stuff uh, Mm -hmm. as i was homebrewing it Uh, what i mean uh just like you let it dry out and then you can drink it at night and, you know, after, well, in the morning after your <laughs> night shift. Uh, and, and then you wake up and you're not, you know, there's no real fog. It's, it's the yeah. sugar. I mean, alcohol, yes, but, but it's the sugar that gets mm-hmm. you. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I think it, I mean, I've also had customers tell me that it's, like, kind of the only thing they can drink. Yeah. Uh, not everyone, obviously, but, but some of my regulars, um, they... They really appreciate the dryness. Of course, it's naturally gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other ingredients I'm using, try to use organic, yeah. uh, local, wherever possible. 
Uh, so where do you obtain your honey? I'm assuming as much local as you can. Yeah, all local. Um, okay. I For now, I'm doing all Vermont honey. Mm-hmm. Um, not because there's anything like particularly special about Vermont honey, just, you know, keeping, supporting local beekeepers, keeping food miles down. Mm-hmm. As I grow, you know, I don't, I don't want to um, push any of my beekeepers to, um, my beekeepers, uh, <laughs> to, to like compromise on their practices. I really, uh, I, I try to buy from beekeepers who, you know, low to no, um, uh, chemical, mm-hmm. um, you know, yep. intervention. Uh, so I don't want to, uh, push them into places that, that, you know, where they have to cut corners. So I'll be, you know, I'll be looking at other local sources, New York, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's all, it's all honey. It's all great. Yeah. Um, as long as it's, yeah, uh, properly uh, produced. Amazing. Um, yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you then, you're clearly very busy, but let's say you're able to hire somebody to take over for like a week or two, and you could go on either a mead or kind of craft beverage-based vacation. Where are you going? A week or two. Is that all I get? <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> I'd say two weeks for two sure. Two weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, I, I had the distinct privilege of getting to visit Normandy um, mm-hmm. uh, growing up. Um, I would go there with my family. My dad's French, uh, so uh, we would go there. And, and <laughs> Norman cider was the first thing I ever got drunk on at the ripe old age of ten years old. Um, not trying to dox That's my parents up, though. here, but, right? Right. It's totally cool there. I it's, mean, beer at McDonald's, like. <laughs> <laughs> and Norman cider, oh, man, it goes down so easy. So I, I'd, I'd love to go back there. Yeah, I'd be interested to uh, to see about you know other meads. Although really, I think if I if I wanted to learn about honey wine, um, I'd be at least as interested uh, in in going and visiting Ethiopia hmm. and like learning about Tej. Um, at, at least as interested in that. Of course, I think there's a civil war. I don't I don't want to misspeak here, um, yeah. but like. There's been some tension there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unfortunately, and, and the other option isn't much better uh, given the proximity to Ukraine, um, <laughs> Poland, okay, uh, Poland yeah. and the Czech Republic. Um, I actually visited Prague once, okay. and um, and that I didn't know about meat at that point. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I've heard a lot about their their meat, the, the history there. Um, yeah, be be pretty interested to to check them out. Uh, what's next for Golden Rule as a brand? Poof. That's a good question. Um, what's next for the brand? I, I think, well, right now, uh, last year, about this time, uh, I had just started working with uh, a local distributor, Vermont Wine Merchants. Mm-hmm. They've been they've been uh, instrumental in uh, helping me grow this business. I mean, it's just like made just an enormous improvement on all fronts. So thank you, Vermont Wine Merchants. <laughs> um, you, speaking of which, you can find uh, Golden Rule Mead throughout Vermont, um, anywhere, anywhere that Vermont wine merchants, uh, delivers to, which is, um, a lot of places. Uh, one of the reasons I started working with them. <laughs> so we'll continue, you know, uh, introducing the mead to new accounts, um, and, and, you know, continue experimenting with varieties. Of course, that's, that's what I love doing. Um, but, Outside of that, oh yeah, for your for your podcast listeners, um, I am planning to start uh, direct to consumer shipping within the um, United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I haven't looked into what it would take to get into Canada. I, maybe it's super complicated. That's super. That's what I assume. <laughs> so, so like 
Sorry to the Canadian listeners. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, it's right here. And I'm not going to do all of the U.S. either. I mean, yeah. you know, limited states because you have to pay for every permit. And some some are like $50. Some are $500. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Um, so, so there will be uh, limited shipping opening up over the next few months. Um, and I'll, I'll be announcing that via social media. Um, you can find me, Golden Rule Mead, just all... One word, Golden mm-hmm. Rule Mead. Uh, online, I, I really don't post very much. I probably should post more. I kind of loathe social media, and, you know, it's a love-hate. It's, it's needed. Yeah, yeah. So. And uh, for those who want to visit Golden Rule, let them know where they can find you. Uh, yeah, here in Middlebury, Vermont, um, 8 Elm Street, because Google will take you there, take you here. Yeah, it's uh, it's... It's just a house, so uh, if it doesn't look like a business, um, you found it. Caught me off guard. Um, yeah, and the, the you know little driveway. There is some parking, um, so um, it's yeah, it's it's there's not a lot to it. Yeah. Plus, uh, you mentioned in your phone call, your neighbors across the street are okay if people park there to come over and consume. Yeah, more yeah, or less. right. I mean, especially uh, after they close, yeah. I, I think that's fine. Um, you know, we've got a, a, a garage and a grocery store. So like I'm, I'm open after, I'm open um, Friday through Monday. So I, I'm, I am open on Mondays usually. Um, check Google, check Yelp. Yep. And I say I, I mean, like, it's just a one man show. <laughs> um, 2 to 8 p.m. Okay. Uh, so earlier in the afternoon, you know, probably use my parking lot um, later on. I mean, it's just, it's not, you're not going to be competing for a parking space, like realistically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not a terribly busy spot. Amazing. And you said Golden Rule Media for pretty much all social media. Yeah, yeah. Golden Rule Mead. Um, I don't even have a Facebook. Um, yeah. It's it's really just Instagram and the website, which is uh, www.goldenrulebrew.com. So all that's going to be in the show notes. As for us, allbeerinside.com is the website. At allbeerinside on all social media. And as you say at the end of all episodes, drink craft, not crap. <laughs>